everybody. Welcome to Peculiar Stories and Far Out Tales. I am Kim Yellen. And I'm Anna Howington. And I think Anna's going to jump right in. I am. So it is almost time for Halloween. Woohoo! Woohoo! Spooky season. Spooky season is upon us. I am already enjoying it very much. Yes. I think I'm going a little overboard this year, but you know what? I don't even care. Like, it's just, it's been such a hard time lately. Yeah. These last 2020, 2021, I'm just going to enjoy things that make me happy now. So yes. I'm going Good. all in for Halloween this year. <laughs> Woohoo! Good. Have you gotten your costume yet? Or do you know what you're going to be yet? I have not. I have some ideas, but I haven't zeroed in on the right outfit yet. Um, we have a big Halloween like festival type of thing that we're planning, and I bought my costume, and I'm a pinata. I'm very <gasps> excited about it. Oh my God, I love it. Are you one of the donkey pinatas? No, no. It's like a like it's like a onesie type of thing that oh, like just has fun. a bunch of like streamers on it. I'll send you a picture. I got it like Friday of last week and was like running around my office in it. I was like, I love it. The best ever. Yeah. I love it. So, costumes are the best. Yes. Agreed. <laughs> well, in the spirit of Halloween, I am going to tell you all about the Salem witch trials. Ooh. Yay. I'm excited. Yeah. It's really interesting stuff. I have to say, like, it was very difficult to research this story. Mm because there's a lot of conflicting accounts of this story. I feel like Wikipedia would say one thing and then I'd go to the History Channel and it'd say something different and then I'd go to like the Salem Town website and it'd say something different. So, yeah. My apologies if anybody's out there and they are a historian that has deeply studied this subject. I'm I'm doing the best I can. I think this is right. Some of the dates were a little tricky. So I'm going to go with the things that I found that were kind of uniform throughout all the sources. Cool. But it was a really long time ago. So I can imagine that <laughs> those records are a little dicey. I also feel like it's something that like people make up a lot. Of, like it can be very like sensationalized. Like there's yeah. been so many movies and so many books and so many mm -hmm. like that everybody, not that people are like purposefully making things up, but like people can definitely like write their own history a little bit and like kind of just go off yeah. like if somebody in like the 1800s which would have been a long time since then started to make something up then us all the way in the 2000s would be like is this true or is this a story like yeah i could see the the history beginning kind of muddled for sure and i i feel kind of bummed because i haven't gone to salem massachusetts yet but I plan on taking a trip there sometime in this next month. That's one of my like Halloween activities I'm going to do this month is I'm going to drive up to Salem. So I think I'll probably get an even better picture of what happened after mm. I actually physically go to the place. But and I didn't have time to do that before we recorded. So <laughs> I bet they like pop off. You have to let me know when, I, when you go. I couldn't find a hotel room. Ah. <gasps> Really? Yeah, I was looking. Wow. I was looking like even middle of the week in October, and everything was like you're gonna have to stay in Boston. And I was like, well, I don't really want to go like into the city. Um, but yeah, mm -hmm. I couldn't find a hotel room, so I might. I'm gonna try to make it a day trip, which will be interesting to see if I can do it all in one day. Wow, it's, it's a bit of a drive, but man, I'm gonna give it a shot. You gotta pre-plan way in advance your Salem trip. I know. And we have a Tesla now, so it's like oh. long trips are not great in it. <laughs> oh. It's fun to drive. I love it. I do love the, the car itself, but going anywhere over yeah. like 
a couple hundred miles is you're going to have to stop and wait for like 45 minutes while it recharges. It's kind of a pain. Oh, uh, I thought it was. Yeah. I thought there were. Uh, I don't know anything about Teslas. I thought it was like there's like the quick chargers. Are those still like 45 minutes? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. yeah. They say 30 minutes, but it's really a little bit longer. And they also say like the range that they tell you the battery lasts. You can take off about 50 miles from that. Wow. Oh. <laughs> it's not quite as long as they say it is. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Right. What? Car dealers lying about? So I, that's yeah. shocking. I can't believe that. It's also no weird way. because when you drive it on the highway, it takes more energy than when you drive it in town, which is like oh. different than like a gas car, right? Like right. you get better yeah, mileage yeah. on the highway. Yeah. So it'll turn it'll turn a five hour trip into a like seven hour trip real quick. <laughs> huh. Wow, interesting. Yeah. Hmm. But there's still a lot of good about it. Anyway, I'm not going to sell a Tesla to everybody. <laughs> right. <laughs> Welcome I'm, to Anna I'm, and Kim's <laughs> Tesla hour. <laughs> yeah, Tesla ad. It is a great car, though. I do love it. I love it a if lot If they want to sponsor us, that's yeah. fine. <laughs> yeah. I don't think Tesla's going to sponsor us. Although they should. Why not? Why really? not? They should. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, they definitely didn't have any Teslas back to when we're going, which is mm-hmm. the 1600s, the late 1600s. So a little bit of background on Salem, Massachusetts. It was first settled in 1626 by the Puritans. Mm-hmm. And we know all about the Puritans from many other stories we've done on them at this point. Yep. They are not the chillest individuals. <laughs> no. Uh, they, I feel like that's like in the name. Like, you just, yeah. you just know. They were bonkers. It's, yep. it's They're just out there. Yeah. They're not in for a good time at all. Like, not at all. Not no. at all. And from the get-go, from the very first like year that they settled, they were having all kinds of problems. It was a pretty dark place to be. They were regularly engaging in conflict with nearby natives and other like French settlers that were trying to come into the area. So they were constantly fighting. There was a lot of like bad crop years and a lot of sickness and a lot of disease. It was just it was not a great place to be. Mm-hmm. So, but they made it through, you know, they obviously are still there today. Um, oh, this is another side note. Have you ever watched <laughs> that movie? Uh, it's on Netflix, Hubie Halloween. No. I love that it's, movie so much. Is it a kid's movie? It sounds like a kid's no, movie. No, it's a comedy. <laughs> it's like really cheesy. It's this comedy by Adam Sandler. Oh, okay. <laughs> I think it came out maybe one or two years ago. It's hmm. set in Salem. Oh, okay. I'll it's have really to look cute. at it. Okay. Anyway, I'll that has nothing out. to do with this story, really. <laughs> I just remember that. To do with story. I want to watch what it tonight. Yeah. <laughs> I guess good. that it's set in Salem. Yeah. Anyway, okay. So, yeah, they settled in 1626. And later on in 1641, the Puritan legal code was created for the colonies. And this is where they list like possible crimes that you can get in trouble for in the Puritan community. There is a hierarchy of crimes. Are they in order like worst? Yes. To, oh, okay. Number one is idolatry. Is the worst? That's the worst. That's the worst thing you can do, Kim. It's the wow. Worst. Mm, okay. Number two. Number two is witchcraft. Oh. Hmm. That is the second worst thing that you can do. Number okay. three is blasphemy. Okay. Number four is murder. <laughs> <laughs> Is the wait? Sorry, we started at the worst, and now we're yes. going yes. to least offensive. This is less the hierarchy offensive. of crimes. Yes, 
Number one, idolatry. <laughs> number two, witchcraft. Number three, blasphemy. Fourth is murder. Fifth oh, is poisoning. <laughs> so witchcraft is a pretty terrible thing in the eyes of the Puritans. They would rather you you murder someone uh-huh. than worship an idol. Is, yes. Oh, goodness. Oh. Yes. Mm. They're they're not messing around with this kind of stuff. <laughs> you know when you hear about, I find it more like in an office setting when there's like a really weird rule and you're like, what happened that led you to that rule? <laughs> Greg. Greg happened. Yes. Like what was Greg doing that they were like, no. Poisoning. Yeah. This has nothing yeah. to worry about. We need- <laughs> not compared to witchcraft. <laughs> to witchcraft. Freaking Greg. <laughs> these people, they really believed that there were like these evil forces like controlling things and like people's lives and and in animals and in crops and they really like thought that the devil was like a very real like presence in their lives so it's not surprising that witchcraft was such a terrible thing to them Mm -hmm. so we're gonna fast forward 50 years later they're still in the same kind of mindset. They they don't grow very much, these Puritans. They're not very progressive. <laughs> they don't change a okay. lot over time, at least yeah. not at this time. But we're in the winter now of 1692 when one of the coldest winters on record hits Salem, Massachusetts. And it's bad. So everybody's stuck inside. And the community, it's not very big. It's like maybe five to 600 people. It's It's a small community. And during this time, two young girls in the village, Betty Paris, who was nine years old, and her cousin, Abigail Williams, who was 11, they start behaving strangely, which, I mean, surprise, surprise, like they're stuck inside and they're kids. Like, of course, they're going to start going crazy. Like, it's clear that they just like have like cabin fever. And so Mm -hmm. they're like pretending to be possessed or whatever. Yeah. How does one decide that a nine-year-old is acting weird? Nine-year-olds are weird. Like, they're weird people. Yeah. I, that's such a weird thing exactly, to say. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So they start having these screaming fits. They're claiming that these invisible evil spirits are pinching and poking them. And, um, you know, I guess maybe it was a case of folie à deux, you know, where it's like mm. two people go crazy at the same time. But probably mm-hmm. not. They probably, like I said, just have cabin fever and were just trying to get attention because... They couldn't go anywhere. They couldn't go outside. It was dark. It was cold. You know, they were just going a little crazy like kids do. Right. Yeah. Uh, One thing to remember is that they both lived with Betty's dad. So they were cousins. Abigail's parents, I think her parents died. It doesn't really say, but it's kind of assumed that her parents died and she moved in with her her cousin. And their dad is this guy, Samuel Parrish, who is a reverend. And he's one of the very first ordained ministers in the area. So I would imagine that there's a lot of like this rhetoric being spouted out about the house, about evil spirits and the devil and Satan and blah, 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 blah. You know, so they kind of already are like in this milieu of this like crazy spiritual talk anyway. Right. So it makes sense that they would naturally be like, oh, I'm being attacked or whatever. I would think that there'd be a lot of eyes looking at that house too. Like if it's like the the preacher in a small town, like I feel like they probably have more people being like, what are you doing? What are your kids doing? Are they acting crazy? Like, I feel like they'd have more kind of scrutiny on them, too. Yeah. I mean, and he wasn't a great guy. And we'll learn more about him later. But he was, like, you know, freaked out that they're, like, acting crazy. He automatically, of course, assumes that it must be some kind of a demonic presence. They must be possessed or something like that. Oh. 
he like he was the one that suggested it he was the one that well like, i think that it was just like they told him that and he just believed them because he believes in that kind of shit who's them like the, the girls. townspeople oh the girls. oh okay yeah. okay instead of just passing it off as like things kids say he was like oh mm-hmm. that must be it yeah exactly so he gets two men, two of these older magistrate men um, who are basically like the town's like judges or whatever. And they put pressure on these two girls to tell them who was bewitching them. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, which is kind of messed up because it's like two adult men like right. pressuring a child. Yeah. Not very cool. And then they also take the girls to a doctor and the doctor examines them and he's like, oh, I mean, it's obvious that they're bewitched and, quote-unquote, under an evil hand. Because they don't have anything physically wrong with them, so they must be cursed by a witch. Thanks, doctor. That's yeah. that's exactly what I... Gosh, being a doctor in the 1600s, that must have been a riot. Yeah, exactly. Just say whatever you want. Be like, I don't know what it is. It must be witches. Yeah. Like, um, okay, yeah. bro. Yeah. I, I don't know how often he gave out that diagnosis. <laughs> That was his, like, go-to, like, anytime women, well, they're not women, but anytime girls walked in with any mm-hmm. problems, he didn't know what was going on. He was like, yeah. oh, witches. Yeah. And I heard from one source that um, he could read, but he couldn't write. What? So. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I don't know, uh. like, how educated this doctor was. Whatever. <laughs> Oh he just God. added fuel to the fire. They're yeah. like, look, the science man even says it's a bewitching or whatever. I also feel like that was that point in history, too, when being like, quote, being able to read meant that you could read the Bible. Like, I, I feel like that was kind of that uh, point in history, too. Like that. I don't know. I feel like that's the weird thing that you'd be able to read, but not write. Like, I know there are two different skills, mm-hmm. but like, I just wonder how I mean, more to your point. How extensively could he read? Like, oh, what? He wasn't reading research papers? Yeah, right. Yeah, maybe there wasn't a whole lot available, but yeah, I no just... peer reviewed journals. No, probably. Yeah, nothing, nothing coming in yet. <laughs> I mean, there were, there had to be what Harvard was around then. Like, there was, oh, yeah. One yeah, of these like... guys that got accused of being a witch had gone to Harvard. Yeah, so there were so... intelligent. I don't know. Things. They weren't like producing like. No, yeah, know. that's true. <laughs> I don't. I don't know what was going on then. Yeah, maybe it didn't have quite the clout, but I don't think but. it did. <laughs> so Abigail and Betty are making these claims, and then of course, like all groups of children, other kids start making claims too. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So two more girls, Ann Putnam um, and Elizabeth Hubbard start making claims as well. And then even more girls join in. Mary Wilcott, Mercy Lewis, and Mary Warren. So now all of these young girls, these they're all under the age of like 13. <laughs> Great. <laughs> are like claiming that they're being bitten in their sleep and that they're being poked by witches, invisible witches or whatever and all this stuff. Mm, okay. It's also claimed that during this time, some of the girls and the village had gotten together and were purportedly experimenting with divination techniques um, during which uh, they would drop egg whites into a glass of water and attempt to see the future and whatever shapes were being made in the water, which I just, that's just classic kid stuff. 
Yeah, you know? I, gonna, like, <laughs> I feel like we did stuff like that when we were kids. Totally. Like, totally yeah, did fortune telling. Ouija and, boards. Yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> we were what was that one little game that you would do where you like wrote on a piece of paper and you like folded it up and like it you would do that thing with your hand where you would like it was like almost like origami and you would say a little like um Oh the rhyme. four the four thing, the yeah. There's four segments, yeah. Exactly, and yeah. then you'd stop and you'd open one up and find out who you were going to marry or something <laughs> right, like that. Right. Yeah, I remember when we used to do, you and I, used to, we figured out that thing with the plate. Do you remember that? When you'd like no. hold it over a candle. You'd like sit across from somebody and you'd both have candles and you'd both have a plate. And then like one person was like the fortune teller and you like hold it over the plate. And so it got a bunch of like soot on it. And then you got the person to like rub it all over their face. <laughs> you don't remember that? I don't remember this at all. Oh, I have like the vaguest memory of this. I have a me- like I can like picture the room in your house we were in when we were doing it. Like I like, I remember us doing it. Oh my god, that's hilarious. Yeah. Did we just make it that's- up or did we like no, hear it from some no. other kid? <laughs> I can't I I almost feel like your mom told us or maybe we did. Like I don't feel like we made my it up. My mom? Yeah, like I or maybe I huh, I don't know. I'll have to find it. I'll find it online and send it to you. Oh but yeah, that you like hilarious. You like both have plates and somebody had like so something happened that it wouldn't the person that was like the that was like the in person Person, the soot wouldn't like get on their plate so <laughs> it was i don't remember yeah. so we didn't succeed right yes in we telling our futures yeah yeah just just rubbing <laughs> soot all over each other's faces we were yeah. really good at that <laughs> that's hilarious i yep. i'm gonna see if my sister remembers that yeah i feel like she was there my sisters are probably there i'm I, sure she I was i feel like your mom was there like that's who I i'm remembering my mom was there my mom is like so like against like the superstitious kind of stuff yeah i feel like oh, yeah, okay. no. i don't feel <laughs> yeah. like she would be into that at all i just but... stick your mom into all of our memories i'm like <laughs> yeah. yeah and then your mom was there <laughs> like, no, i mean i don't was... know she also was just like for anything that we were doing right. too <laughs> she's like have fun you know <laughs> right so anyway, so we're in, it's still winter time, and by the end of February, the girls in the community are just, like, going crazy. As I'm sure you can already guess, the Puritans may overreact to this news. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And they kind of uh, force confessions out of these girls. Like I said, mm-hmm. uh, there was... a. Uh, there were these magistrates, these two male magistrates, Jonathan Corwin and John Hathorne. They really pressed on the girls of the community to tell them who was bewitching them. Oh. And so they got three names. And the first was Sarah Good. She was this pregnant beggar woman in the community. Mm-hmm. And it's said that she had a reputation for being, quote-unquote, socially unpleasant. <laughs> Whatever that means. I'm not okay. sure. sure. Yeah, sure. Socially unpleasant. Got yeah. it. She was married to, like, the town handyman, this guy named William Good. They were essentially homeless. They had a really difficult time finding a place to stay due to Sarah's reputation as an outcast. I guess people just really didn't like her. Hmm. And so, of course, she was a really easy target for these accusations. Hmm. The next was this woman, Sarah Osborne, another Sarah. And she was another easy target. Her first husband... 
who had died uh, was this like wealthy guy who owned a bunch of land and they had three children together. But then after her husband died, she took in an indentured servant to kind of help her out with the kids. And it was this guy named Alex Osborne. And she fell in love with Alexander Osborne, but they couldn't be together until he like worked off his debt, which I don't know how that works out, but like whatever. They had the same last name. They had the same last name before. She became Sarah Osborne. Oh, okay. So she was married to this wealthy guy first. Oh, okay. He bit the dust. She's like, I've got all these kids. I can't do this on my own. So she hires this indentured servant named Alex Osborne, Alexander mm-hmm. Osborne. Mm-hmm. They fall in love. But like I said, they couldn't get married until he had worked off his debt, which is like, I mean, just like say it's fine. <laughs> yeah. I feel like that's such a like Harlequin romance thing to say. Like I bet it's he was so like, weird. he would always do his work with his shirt off and like uh, yeah, all that sort yeah, of stuff. Yeah. Like I just got to work off my debts, man. Money, yeah, exactly. Be together. <laughs> They eventually did get married, but mm. it was, like, widely known in the community that they were, like, living together and sleeping mm. together before oh, time or not. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and this was really looked down upon. Like, right. yeah. that was, yeah. you do not do that. Mm-hmm. And she was also in this, like, land dispute with uh, other members of her family. And then there were some legal issues between her and the Paris family as well. So that was another thing that was happening that resulted in her being seen as an outcast and also likely resulted in her getting accused by one of the daughters of Samuel Parrish. So mm-hmm. I feel like yeah. these people are too, like, up in each other's business. Like, they're too, like, connected to each oh, other. Like, yeah, <laughs> that's part of the and that's one Part of the, the things, yeah, that made it so difficult to research this is because it's like they're all very connected. Yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. The last woman that they accused of being a witch was Samuel Paris's slave, uh, this woman named Tituba. And she, from all accounts that I can, that I found, she was uh, like a South American woman. Mm from what is like present-day Colombia or possibly Venezuela. And she ended up coming to Salem, Massachusetts by way of Barbados, where uh, Samuel Paris had first hmm. brought him with her when he moved to Massachusetts. And he also brought with him another slave by the name of John Indian. And he forced those two to get married. And so they lived with him. And it was said that she like would sometimes tell the girls like kind of like, fairy tale stories Mm. and so that kind of got twisted into like oh she's a witch you know hmm there seems to be some issues there yeah we don't even have her last name there's very little known about her before these trials start and uh yeah so these girls they say these are the three women that did it hmm it was also claimed that uh, Tichuba had made what's called a witch cake. And uh, I'm going to give you the recipe for that right now. Okay. You ready for this? Yes. <laughs> when the girls first got afflicted, um, it was said that she made this to help figure out who the witch was that had bewitched them. So if you want to figure out who is bewitching you, Kim, this is what okay. you do. Okay. Get a pen. You so. Yeah. Get a pen and paper. You got to write okay. this down. Okay. <laughs> first thing you're going to do, you're going to make a cake of rye meal. Okay. <laughs> and the urine of the bewitched individual. Oh, okay. It's very important. <laughs> Got it. Easy. You're going to bake that in with some ashes. 
any ashes? I guess or, so. Okay. I mean, yeah. Something hmm. that you burned. <laughs> right. Well, yes. Yeah. Any ashes. Any Got ashes. It. I think any ashes are fine. Okay. So that's going to make a little cake. Now, in order to find out who the witch is, you're then going to give it to a dog to eat. <laughs> okay. Eat this, like, piss cake. Is exactly. What we're... Okay. Got <laughs> then it. Then you're going to release the dog, and the dog will then point you in the direction of whoever the witch is. <laughs> Goodness. Okay. So, <laughs> so the, I mean, the assumption of making that cake is that there is a witch. Like, it's not yes. trying to figure out if there's a witch. It's, there is a witch. Who is it? But then it's also, at that point in time, you are taking part in witchcraft. So are you not a witch yourself, too, then? Ooh. Ooh. It's, so. a, it's a trap. It's the, they'll get you <laughs> right from trap. the beginning. Yeah. The way to the way to figuring out if it's a witch is also witchcraft. Exactly. Yep. Hmm. A truly scientific process here. Yes. Yep. Ashes and pee and whatever the other thing was, wheat. <laughs> now it's said that there was actually a woman in the community named Mary Sibley who had been the one to tell Tichiba and John Indian. Hey, if you want to find out who the witches are, you should make this cake. So we don't even oh. know if she came up with this idea on her own. We don't even know if she made the cake. These are all just rumors. Yeah, yeah. If somebody was accusing me of being a witch and it was because of something I did, I feel like I'd be like, oh, no, I. It, somebody told me that. I didn't come up with the dog eating the piss cake. That wasn't me. <laughs> <laughs> or, or maybe I might have even been like a known thing back then. I don't know who came up with that. It seems <laughs> disgusting. <known> yeah. <laughs> but whatever the uh, case is, that was one of the things that she was accused of. And uh-huh. um, yeah, so the three women, they're brought before the local magistrates, the same ones that also like coerce these confessions out of these young girls. Mm, of course. And the women are interrogated for several days, starting on March 1st, 1692. The women that were accused. Exactly. Got it. At first, all three of them refuted the claims. They were like, we are not witches. But then, after being beaten and coached by Reverend Samuel Paris, Tichuba admits to the charges. Hmm. So, I mean, it's like... What are you going to do? They basically tell her, like, if you don't admit to this, we're going to kill you. But if you do admit to it and accuse others and repent, we'll let you go. Right. Yeah. And she's being beaten. So it's like she's going to say whatever they want her to. Right. Yeah. You can say whatever to get out of that situation. Yeah. So she's like, yeah, I'm a witch. And these two Sarahs over here, witches too. (laughs) If I'm going down, I'm taking you with me. Taking you all with me. (laughs) Yeah. Sarah Osborne and Sarah Good, however, they stick to their guns. They say that they are not witches. They do not admit to anything. Sarah Good is uh, her like sentencing is put on hold because she's pregnant. So they don't like kill her right away. And Sarah Osborne later goes on to die in jail. So it's very sad. Yeah. Consequently, Tichuba was spared the death sentence, but she remained in custody because Reverend Paris refused to pay her bond. And eventually she was sold to an unknown person for her jail fees almost a year and a half after her arrest. So it was like a long time. Great. (laughs) Good's husband actually turned against her as well while she was in prison, strengthening the claims against her. I mean, she was just a very unliked lady. Yeah, holy (laughs) moly. Even her own husband was like, yeah, 
total witch. <laughs> I feel like, though, that's the people that you choose, right? Like, if you're gonna, like, that, I mean, you see stuff like that happening now. Mm-hmm. Like, anytime you're gonna go after a group, you need to go after, or a person, you're gonna go after the people that are kind of oppressed anyway, or the people that are kind of down on their luck as it is. Exactly. Yeah. So the afflicted, quote-unquote, girls also went on to accuse Good's four-year-old daughter, Dorothy Good. Ugh. They claimed that she bit them. Uh, okay. <laughs> it's just like I some mean, four-year-olds yeah. bite. I don't know. I think a lot of four-year-olds bite. I mean, if that's the standard, I think we're all due for it. Like, <laughs> well, hmm. they took it as good reason to believe that she was a witch. So they took the four-year-old. They put her in jail. Uh, uh. (laughs) and they interrogated her until they got a confession out of her what is involved in interrogating a four-year-old they got her to say that her mother was consorting with the devil cool she turned five while she was in jail Mm -hmm. making her the youngest prisoner in all of salem history to date I would hope so. So, (laughs) Can you imagine being like, until this year or something like? She was eventually uh, let out on bond after spending eight months in jail. Oh. uh, She was never charged, but she was kept in a cold jail cell during which time her father, I guess, tried to like get together the funds to get her out. But it took him like a super long time. Mm -hmm. This is also the guy that turned on his wife. So (laughs) I don't know. Goodness gracious. By the time uh, she got out, she had, like, suffered so much psychological damage that apparently yeah. she grew up and she, like, was crazy for the rest of her life. I so. can imagine. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine that, too. Yep. It's pretty awful. Mm-hmm. Her mother, Sarah Good, eventually got put on trial after she gave birth in prison. And unfortunately, her baby died. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was convicted and hanged shortly thereafter. Her last words being this. I am no more a witch than you are a wizard. And if you take away my life, God will give you blood to drink. Woo. Yeah. I just don't understand how that's not murder. Like, how is that not them murdering someone? I mean, it is. It is. Right. So, like, I mean, I understand witchcraft is is on their weird scale worse. Mm -hmm. But, like, how do you justify murdering somebody when that's in your list? It was mass hysteria. They yeah. were terrified of, of, of witches. They thought oh, that they caused gracious. all of the harm around them. So, like, anytime anybody no. got sick, anytime any of their, like, livestock died, it was always the devil or witches. It was mm. always these, like, you know, unseen forces. Yeah. Yeah, I can. I mean, I can't. That doesn't so, justify it, but I can see that being a reason that stuff like that happens. Yeah. So, it is interesting to note that legend has it 25 years later one of the judges reverend nicholas noise died from choking on his own blood so, <gasps> she you know, got him maybe good job yeah Woo-hoo. and these three accused women they were just the beginning mm. the accusations poured in neighbor turned on neighbor it was crazy the court's did very little to investigate the claims, and oftentimes the jury was made up of relatives of the accusers. So, you know, you can't Uh, really trust this. Yeah. As if you could trust it before. Yeah. You're like, oh, no, they were were being reasonable accusing people of being witches. Like, 
And like Tichva,、yeah. several of the accused confessed and named others to kind of distract from their own mm-hmm. accusations. Mm-hmm. So yeah,、mm-hmm. the trials they begin to overwhelm the justice system. Okay. In May of 1692, the newly appointed governor of Massachusetts, due to pressure from local authorities, this governor William Phipps, allowed the establishment of a special court for witchcraft. The governor of Massachusetts. Governor of Massachusetts. He's a new.、Uh, he's a new governor. He just gets in place, and the Puritans are like, "We got some witches. We got some problems. We need a special court." And he was like, "All right, yeah, sure, whatever. Like, do your court, man." I guess I always thought of it as something that was kind of like confined to this one little community that everybody was going crazy at. But like, did like start to spread out into other communities? But it Mm -hmm. was mostly in this community that he said you can have this court now. Now it's important to note that Phipps himself was not extremely religious. He was more like a politician, Mm -hmm. and as soon as he said, "Yeah, you can start this court," he then fucked off to Maine for like a while. (laughs) <laughs> to、yeah. oversee the building of this fort, so he like was gone. He didn't even know what was going on. Just like these people from Salem came to him, said like we want to do this court, and he was like fine because they seemed like very upset. I guess and he was like、oh. trying to like you Get know out of my office exactly.、Please. I have a feeling it was kind of like that because because、yeah. we'll see what happens when he gets back from Maine. He's like, what the fuck? <laughs> What's going on? So this court is presided over by a couple of judges, including John Hawthorne. Which was one of the guys that pressured the nine and eleven year old to say who the witches were,、mm-hmm. and then、uh, this guy Samuel Seawall and this one William Stutton. So, okay, the court hands down its first conviction against this woman named Bridget Bishop, and she was kind of known as like the town gossip. So again, she didn't have the most stellar reputation in the area. And、um, she was hanged just eight days after being accused,、Ugh. and she was the very first to die in the Salem witch trials. Wow! Yeah.、Ugh. So it just really got out of hand really quickly.、Mm-hmm. Over a hundred people were accused and jailed for witchcraft, and it was actually a very short period that this happened in. But it was like. All these people basically focused on for like a year. It seems like. What was the year again? Six sixteen ninety two to sixteen ninety three. They were just like picking up people off the street left and right,、uh. and they would allow what's called like spectral evidence, which is basically just like anybody saying that they feel like they've been witched by someone that counts as evidence. So like I could、oh、go、goodness. and be like, yeah, like. Jill over here, down the street from me, came into my room as a spirit last night and like hit me over the head with a frying pan. <laughs> and and that just, could be like court evidence. That's court like, evidence. They were like,、oh, "Sounds right." <laughs> yeah,、uh, it was it was really messed up. So, of the over a hundred people that they, you know, jailed for witchcraft, they executed twenty of them. Wow. Yeah, sixteen、oh, of them were women and four of them were men. Oh, I, that's that's nice to hear. There were some men. There were、that's, a couple men. Yeah. Yeah. Good. <laughs> I guess that's. <laughs> yeah, it was it was、uh. crazy. So these hangings took place at what's known as the Salem's Gallows Hill, and they happened on four occasions. Sometimes up to eight people at a time would be hanged. 
And those wow. are, yeah, oh, it is really crazy. So those happen on June 10th, July 19th, August 19th, and September 22nd, 1692. <laughs> when you say them like that, it's like it's like a quota or something like that. Like, oh, we're getting to the end of the month. We need to like yeah do some more hanging yeah so the last mass hanging was september 22nd and that was when they did eight people at a time so they were ramping up (laughs) yeah and they were ready to keep on going the hysteria continued and it began to spread to nearby communities claims of things like invisibility cloaks and ghosts (laughs) of the deceased relatives of the witches appearing in the courtroom like all this Mm -hmm. stuff all these crazy claims Mm-hmm. It was said that, like, some of the accusers would, like, bite themselves and then show up to court and be like, this person bit me. Biting was apparently a big thing witches did. <laughs> Unbeknownst to me. Witches are way into biting. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So, like, there's, like, that quote. What is that quote that's, like, um, like, person, like, a person is a, is a really intelligent, like, thoughtful thing but people are just insane like people all together that's that's so crazy to me that like it was wild i mean i can't imagine there wasn't anybody that was like uh what is going on but like i think they were afraid because if you speak up against it then who's to say somebody's not gonna say you're a witch right right Yes, which is always part of the problem for, like, speaking up for what's right. Yeah, right? Like, mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. that everyone's like, well, why are, are you in it? No, 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 no. Like, why? Exactly. Ugh. It's so crazy to hear about. I mean, because it, it, I mean, this certainly isn't the only situation where, like, a group of people just went crazy. Like. Nope. Uh, We're seeing that yeah. every day now. <laughs> every day. Yeah. Jesus. So, meanwhile, the man who made this all possible. Governor Phipps, he's been gone. (laughs) So he he gets back in late September and uh, sees the damage. Like I said before, Phipps was not a super religious Puritan. He wasn't like that kind of crazy. He didn't go (laughs) to church very often. And he had been in Bristol, Maine, building this fort. And he gets back. And learns that over 20 people had been executed. <laughs> and then, Welcome back! Like, all these people were in jail, and even his own wife was being accused. So he gets back, and his wife's like, look at what you did. They're saying I'm yeah. a witch. <laughs> look what you did. And then you just fucked off to Maine. Exactly. Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh. So... Because, of course, it's not really a problem until it happens to you. He mm-hmm. dissolves the court. He's like, what did you guys do? No, we have to stop this. We can't consider spectral evidence as real evidence. Like, you right. guys have got to shut this down. Yeah. So he dissolved the court. He dismissed the charges against the remaining prisoners. And, yeah, that was pretty much the end of it. The court later deemed that the trials were unlawful. The leading justice, Samuel Sewall, publicly apologized for his role in the process, which, I mean, a little too late, buddy, but okay. Right. I'm glad you're sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. In 1706, one of the most prolific accusers, this uh, woman named Anne Putman, she was just a girl at the time. She was like 13 years old. Mm -hmm. She was responsible for the arrests of 62 individuals. Uh, Anne... Come on. No, but can you, like, I mean, like, it's like a third, like, you can't, 
But she felt awful when she was yeah. told. She publicly apologized for her part, and uh, she wasn't. She was the only one of the accusers to do so, which is kind of interesting. Her apology went like this: "I desire to be humbled before God for that sad and humbling providence that befell my father's family in the year about ninety-two. That I, then being in my childhood, should by such a providence of God be made an instrument for the accusing of several people for grievous crimes, whereby their lives were taken away from them, whom now I have just grounds and good reason to believe they were innocent persons." Um, so it's really sad. I, I will say that she goes on to then blame Satan. Well, okay. <laughs> saying that he deluded her into it, which is like, I think you missed the point, but okay. I mean, I guess it's good. It's not a person anymore. Like, <laughs> yeah. I some. mean, you can't really blame her either, though, because they like seriously believe that anything bad happening was like actual satan, satan you know mm-hmm. or yep. witchcraft or something like that or supernatural forces that were like entrenched into their culture at that time wow so yeah it was uh it was it was a crazy time in salem massachusetts and um a lot of people died a lot of people think that they got burned the stake the witches or the sorry mm-hmm. the accused witches but they mm-hmm. were actually hanged Okay. Um, most of the burning of witches happened in Europe. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's where it came from. Yeah. They say that I think like something like 50,000 women were burned at the stake in Europe. For being witches? For being witches, yeah. Oh, goodness gracious. Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> it's all uh, been pretty bad. Yep. It's, it's always been bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're just hearing about it more now, I guess. Witches are having yeah. a real comeback these days, though. <laughs> You ever get Good. on Witch Talk? It's super fun. Yeah? Yeah. To check it all out. Yeah. If somebody's like, I'm a witch, I'd be like, oh, okay. Yeah. Like, cool. I certainly wouldn't be like, get away from me. I think they define it more as like just being like spiritual. Yeah. In touch with. In touch with like whatever. Nature. and Yeah. I don't know. Cool. Look, whatever floats cool. your boat, as long as yep. you're not hurting anybody. Absolutely. Yep. You do you. You do you. Yep. So that was the story of the Salem Witch Trials. Yay! Loved it. Thank you. So, um, I didn't have a whole lot of ideas of what to do for stories. And so I was was telling Anna before that I kept, like, texting her sister and, like, telling her these different things. And so I finally, like, kind of settled on this, which might not have the strongest connection. But I'm going to start with the connection. And then we're going to, like, tell the story. So I'm doing the story of Guy Fawkes and the gunpowder plot. (laughs) Yeah. So, which is very, like, connected to yours. Like, I feel like there's a lot of, like, government issues and a lot of, and it's around the same time period, too. So it's... it's you know, I don't actually know this story. I know of this story, and I feel like I learned it at one point. Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of people know about it from, like, V for Vendetta is, like, the the Guy Fox masks. When that became a thing is, like, um, he very much became, like, a symbol of, like, anti-government and, like... Isn't there like a Guy Fox Day? Yeah, so that's that's kind of the connection. Is there's okay. Guy Fox Night? Okay. Guy Fox Night is November fifth, and in Britain mostly the story takes place in England. So um, they light bonfires. There's a lot of uh, lighting like effigies and stuff and the fireworks. Hmm. And um, it started as a way to commemorate this plot, this unsuccessful plot. 
There's a lot of connections to Halloween. Mm -hmm. You can kind of trace both of their uh, origins back to being a Protestant replacement for ancient Celtic festivals and how the church kind of would change these kind of pagan things. Be like, well, you can't do your thing, but do this other thing that's kind of the same thing. Mm -hmm. Like it's around the same time as All Hallows Eve and All Souls Day. Mm -hmm. There's some, like, debate about that. Um, Someone that I was reading was very upset that this connection was drawn because they saw um, Halloween as a very, like, how we celebrate Halloween now is a very American thing. Hmm. And that this is just more proof that the Americans are trying to infiltrate our holidays and they're trying to make Guy Fox Day about them. Oh, simmer down, buddy. Yeah, so it's definitely about that. So, um, yeah, it's kind of that similar... um, just a tomfoolery type of night. Mm-hmm. There, some of the traditions is that, like I said, fireworks and bonfires. So the word guy comes from from Guy Fox because they would originally have like a an effigy, like a dummy of Guy, and so they would say they would talk about like give some money for the guy was like a way to raise money, hmm. and then the word guy started to become just a word for like. A weirdly dressed person and then it just became the word guy like wow really yeah Yeah. i had no idea so it was like the guy's guy's name became wow that's fascinating yeah so so anyway so that's kind of the connection to halloween so we're gonna rewind way back in time and we're gonna talk about how guy fox became kind of the person that he is today or or how he's thought of today And um, it all goes back to this thing called the gunpowder plot. When you really get down to it, the leader of the gunpowder plot was this man named Robert Catesby. It's kind of weird that it's called Guy Fox Night. Like, it really (laughs) should be, like, Robert Catesby Night. Like, I feel like he got, like, shafted on the naming. Um, Robert Catesby was a young nobleman. He had a reputation for being kind of a man of action and a swordsman. He was very wealthy and very well off. He had land. He had connections. But... His big downfall, the big problem with him, was that he was Catholic, which in Protestant England was a huge problem. How dare you, sir? How dare you? Yeah. So I find like talks about religion in particularly in England, like during that time, like kind of the the Protestant Catholic like issue. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's so interesting because like it just kind of like peppered everything. Like everything was kind of seen through this lens of like, was it a Catholic time or what is it a Protestant time? And were these people Catholic or were they Protestant? And I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So he was Catholic. And during this time, the Protestants were the ruling religion or whatever party, I guess, in England. So this was 70 years after the English Reformation. And most Catholics kind of just kept to themselves and they didn't talk very much. Like they just kind of kept their heads down. Um, it said in something I was reading that a lot of them even went to church with their like Catholic friends so that they wouldn't be seen as kind of being combative or whatever. But Robert Catesby was not one of those people. He was okay. he was boldly Catholic and he kind of like refused to just reform for the sake of reforming. He was Catholic. It was a big part of his personality. Okay. It was a big deal to him. So in autumn of 1602, one of Catesby's friends named Thomas Percy rode to Edinburgh to meet with who at the time was King James VI of Scotland because Queen Elizabeth I was in charge at that point and was okay. very brutal to the Catholics. Hmm. But she was kind of, you know, 
on on her last legs and <laughs> okay. she didn't have a direct heir and everybody kind of assumed that James VI would be the next king of England. Okay. And so he wanted to talk to James to see how he felt about Catholics, kind of what his take was going to be. Okay. And if he was going to allow them to kind of live a free life. And from this conversation, Percy got the idea, Thomas Percy got the idea that that James was going to be a little more lax with the Catholics, that he was going to allow them to kind of live a live a normal life. But it should be said, too, that James was, you know, one of these people that just kind of tells you what you want to hear type of people. Ah, I see. So, yeah. yeah. So he he kind of like knew that this like Catholic Protestant issue was going to be an issue. And so he was like, how can I please both sides? Hmm. How he kind of figured he'd go about it would be to kind of publicly tell the Catholics that he was on their side, but then like in private be like, no, guys, it's fine. Like, we're still in charge. Like, don't worry about it. True diplomat. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Full of shit. (laughs) Good. Right. Yes, absolutely. So um, six months after they met um, on March 24th, 1603, Queen Elizabeth died and James VI of Scotland became King James I of England. It does get very confusing. I always, if you study any English history, there is, this guy is sometimes, he's called like James the sixth and the first, which is always very weird. But yeah, so he was the first, the first James in England. Um, And he, when he first became king, he initially like just was doing whatever people wanted him to do. He was like knighting everybody and giving all these honors (laughs) and like, just like, they called it a honeymoon period. It's like the Oprah of the royal family. You get a (laughs) car and you get a car. (laughs) Yep. You want to be a knight? Let's do this. And then one of the things that he did too was he didn't relax the laws about Catholics, but he just kind of told people not to enforce them. So he didn't go all the way to like totally get rid of them, but he was just kind of like, ah, let's like, let's like relax a little bit. He decriminalized being Catholic. <laughs> right. Yeah. But after a year, he went back to these kind of Elizabethan laws. So he went back to persecuting the Catholics. He went back to making it illegal to be Catholic. He went back to imposing all of these fines. So it went back to being not great to be Catholic. And this really pissed off. Robert Catesby. So King James became his enemy and he started to develop a plot to take out King James and not just take out King James, take out like everybody. He just became very anti-government. So then on Sunday, the 20th of May in 1604, he had a meeting in this inn called the Duck and Drake that is on the Strand in London, which is the most like English sounding bar name I've ever heard, the <laughs> Duck and Drake. And I also didn't realize that there was, a, like, the Strand is an old thing. Like, they have the Strand now. Like, I hear people talk about the Strand all the time. Oh, so, wow. <laughs> I was quite surprised when they were like, it's off of the Strand. And I was like, the Strand is around 1604. But he met with uh, four friends, and he started to set in motion what would eventually become the gunpowder plot. So the people that he met with were not kind of the normal English Catholics. Um, They called them a ragtag group. Um, They were all adventurers. They were all kind of agitators. They were all in that same line of Robert Catesby of being like Catholic and proud. I see. Yeah. So they were all uh, in their 30s. They were all unstable. They all had not the best (laughs) financial. They were all kind of (laughs) nutcases is what, what they made it sound like. They all had bad 
finances. This is sounding a lot like the January 6th riot at this point. Right. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Yes, I agree. Just kind of the people that are kind of on the fringes of society, like not, you know, not doing that great. Right. But those people are the people that are willing to give up life and limb and head. And like they were willing they to got give up- nothing to lose. Right. Yeah. To bring Catholicism back to England was their their big goal. So the meeting started with the ballot secrecy. And so then uh, Catesby started to lay out his plan. And his plan was to strike a blow and target the state opening of Parliament. So when everybody would be there, all the House (laughs) of Lords, all the House of Commons, all the kings and queens, like everybody would be there. And he was like, we're going to blow this whole thing up. I mean, look, go big or go home, right? (laughs) I feel like this, that phrase was written for him. He was going big. And you'll see as we like get down the line, he just went big and didn't didn't turn back. Yeah. So he was going to blow up everybody. So whereas most assassination attempts kind of target one person, whereas in his case, it'd be like James the first would be his target. Mm -hmm. He wanted to take out everybody. So this if this had succeeded, it would have killed not only kings, it would have killed the queen, it would have killed all the princes, it would have killed the whole royal family. Any heir to the throne. Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah, he was going out and taking everyone down with him. But there was also, like I said, all the House of Lords, all the bishops, all the members of parliament, any judges. Yeah. So um, for this act, he initially recruited these four men. So the first was Thomas Percy. So the guy that had gone up to uh, talk to King James and was already like he was kind of like sour from the fact that like he really felt like James had promised him that. Yeah things are going to be good. And so he was kind of annoyed about that. The second was uh, Catsby's cousin, Tom Wintour. Then there was a man named John Wright, who was Catsby's oldest friend. And then finally, a more mysterious figure that none of them really knew. And I couldn't find any information about how anybody met this person. But he was, he had a big expertise in mining and explosives. And his name was Guy Fox. So Guy Fox was, yeah, like I said, I was looking everywhere to try to figure out how they met each other. And no no one knew. So no one knows how they they met this guy. But he was a soldier. He was was a Catholic from Yorkshire. Um, He was very much what they called a hardline Catholic terrorist. He was an experienced mercenary soldier. Um, He had been fighting in the Netherlands for over 20 years. and And he had been back to England for less than a month. So, like, wow. he was kind of that soldier kind of on the edge, too, which oh, yeah. is another problem. Yeah. So, Fox had been fighting in the Netherlands for the past 10 years, and he had just gotten back to England a month ago. And he was really vital at the beginning stages of the planning because Catsby, Catsby I feel like, was, like, the big idea guy, but he had no idea how to kind of make it happen. So, he knew he wanted to take out Parliament, but it was Fox that was the one that knew how to how to lay down the gunpowder and how to use it and and what to do to get this like maximum impact because it had to be big like it it had you couldn't just <laughs> like a little <laughs> explosion like he had to like take out everybody and Catsby was kind of under this understanding that are kind of in this like I don't want to say delusion but like he was in this thinking that he just had to come up with a plan and then God would take care of the rest like he was super like that kind of guy that was like huh. God, okay. God will figure this out. That's who you want in a group project. Right. The leader of the group project. <laughs> like, God, God will figure it out. Um, okay, great. So they made this plan. Then they had, um, they concluded their meeting with a private mass. 
it's not believed that the priest had any idea what they were like planning so like but he was like a like hidden priest which is something else that i was reading about that like these catholic families would like hide these priests because you weren't allowed like the catholics weren't allowed to have priests so wow um yeah so the current session of parliament had only a few weeks left in it to run and then it was going to adjourn until february 1605 so they had a bit of a time crunch Hmm. to kind of figure it all out. And they didn't have, at that point, they didn't even have a place to, like, stay in Westminster. But Hmm. that was where Percy came in. So Thomas Percy had all these connections, and he was appointed um, what's called the Gentleman Pensioner, which is uh, a ceremonial, like, a ceremonial guard, which is kind of ironic, given the circumstances, that he was, like, appointed to this position. But... It gave him an excuse to rent lodgings. And so it gave them an opportunity to install Guy Fox and really start planning kind of in the space that they were in. And they also chose Guy Fox, um, not only because he was kind of the gunpowder expert, but also because he wasn't known in London. Like, I feel like everybody else kind of had these connections and everybody else would have been like, hey, what are you doing? Just like hanging around. So he was outside of the normal Catholic network. And um, he wouldn't be seen as kind of a Catholic, a normal Catholic conspirator. Ah. Catesby recruited two more men in this web of conspiracy, which... He's adding a lot of people. This is when things get messy. This, <laughs> yes, this that's going to be a theme. That's one of the things where people are always like, oh, it's a conspiracy. And they'll like have these like outlandish claims. And I'm like, do you know how many people would have to be in on that conspiracy yes. in order for that to work? And how like... Right. Fickle people are and like how you you really like for a conspiracy to work, you need like three people max. Right. (laughs) Max. I feel like even three people is a bit too much. Like, yeah, we're doing conspiracy. Like you can't tell your husband. You can't tell. Like, no, it's just anybody. (laughs) So, yeah. So so that starts to be something that gets them into hot water, too. So he, he recruited two more men. Um, he was running out of money, which was kind of the reason that he started to, to recruit more people. Um, the first one was named Thomas Bates, and he was Catesby's manservant. And then there's a man named Robert Keyes, who was uh, from Lincolnshire, and he was a trusted and honest man, is what all the record says. I see. Um, and so those those three men, so, so Thomas Bates, uh, Robert Keyes, and then Guy Fox were the three men that were, like, in London. And they started to stockpile all of the gunpowder okay. and started kind of moving things forward that way. So somebody like Fox would know how to get gunpowder, um, just being in the military circles. There was also a lot of gun, which this is kind of a weird sentence, but there was a lot of gunpowder on the market. There was a war going on at some point that had just ended. I don't know what war. I'm very sorry. So... He stockpiled 36 barrels, which is a whole lot of barrels. Sounds like a lot. Right. So he was taking his time to acquire it. So they have this, like, home base in Westminster. But what they didn't have was a way to, like, blow up the House of Parliament from there. Like, they didn't have an inn at the House of Parliament yet. Okay. Was was the problem. So, like I said, he stockpiled 36 barrels, which was 10,000 pounds of powder. And it would blow uh, a charge that would explode with the same charge as 250 cannons firing at once. So, oh wow. Yeah, so this is a lot of a lot of gunpowder and a lot that it'll do the job. Yes, yep, yeah, again, going big or going home. <laughs> so, the state opening was delayed again as they were like trying to get everything together, it was delayed again until the winter of 1605. 
they were putting off their meeting. The, the parliament was putting off meeting to avoid the plague. Because I guess that the plague is or was worse during the summer. So they didn't want to, because like all these people were coming from all these different places. Oh. And so they wanted to do things during the winter when uh, the fleas were asleep, I guess. I don't, I don't know what they, they just noticed that the plague was less during the winter. Oh, so, gosh. Yeah. So they, <laughs> a bunch of stuff all going around. So this was in the winter of 1605. The 1600s, not a great time to be alive. <laughs> no, I think that would be the worst time to be alive. Like for so, like I try to think about like when would be the worst time. And I think that has got to be it. That sounds awful. Yeah, for sure. Right. So like I said, they had their home base in Westminster, but they didn't have a way of getting into the Houses of Parliament. But in Catsby's mind, God provided a game and was like smiling on his plan <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> At a cost of an extra four pounds, Percy was able to secure a, a lease on a cellar right underneath the House of Parliament. Like he was just like given this opportunity. He had a bit of a connection. His cousin was like some lord of something. So or he whatever. found the opportunity. Is right. What you're saying. Yes. <laughs> right. It's not. It's not God. He went asking around, but you know whatever. Again, so, yeah. it's like yeah. conspiracies are hard to make work. Yes. I agree. Yeah. So uh, Percy was able to secure this cellar. Um, it was the old palace kitchens and they were empty at the time and just rented out for storage. Um, and the cellar was directly under the House of Parliament, which I feel like is so weird <laughs> that they were just like, sure, like just rent it out. We don't really care about the space. They were afraid of nothing. <laughs> right. Yeah. They didn't they didn't figure anything would happen. So you also have to think, too, that, that when I say, like, the Palace of Westminster, I feel like people are thinking of, like, what we're thinking of it today. And it's not quite like that. Like, Westminster was a bunch of old medieval buildings, like, late medieval buildings. And so oh. it was a place that, like, the common people could kind of just come and go to. I so see. it wasn't it wasn't super suspicious to be, like, walking. Like, don't think about it as, like, the White House. Think about it as, like, Washington, D.C. as, like, a whole. It's like a neighborhood, essentially. Right, yeah, that you can kind of just walk around there. And so in uh, the summer months of 1605, which must have been disgusting um, <laughs> to be hauling around a bunch of barrels of gunpowder in the summer. I mean, I know London isn't super hot, but yeah. Well, all the... The like stuff that they would throw out the windows, all the human yeah. waste, and it was just it yeah. wasn't a very clean place, I'm sure. No. So they're doing this in the summer months of 1605. So Guy Fox and the two guys that were helping him started slowly bringing in the gunpowder into the cellars. In October 1605, three weeks before King James reopened Parliament, the barrels were hidden with some firewood for added security because you know you got to cover stuff up, I guess. <laughs> Um, and then all they had to do now was wait. Okay. But uh, again, Catsby was running out of money. So what does one do when they're running out of money? They start to recruit another guy. Uh-oh. So at this point, this was the 13th man that he had Come recruited. Come on. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, Goodness gracious. They, of course, it had to be the 13th. Like, I tend to not be super superstitious, but I, t I would avoid the 13th person uh yeah you're just asking for it i mean come on right yeah so um the man that they recruited was this man named uh francis transham uh, i wrote down how to pronounce that and i can't find where i wrote it now. you know what he's dead anyway so, no i'm kidding yeah. <laughs> tresham i'm gonna say tresham okay great uh his name so he was a man named francis tresham 
And he was rich and he was like, very influential in these Catholic circles. So it was clear why he reached out to him. He just needed money. Because he was wealthy, he had the most to lose. So he was definitely like the weakest link in this like he chain. He was probably also connected to at least yes. some of the people in that parliament uh, somehow. Uh, Anna, you're predicting the future. How right did I now. guess? So, yes. Wealthy people so, sticking together? Never. <laughs> right. Never. So he, he was a blabbermouth and he also had friends in the House of Lords who would <laughs> die. And so he was super like, like at first he's like, no, I'm going to warn my friends. And Catsby is like, no, dude, you can't tell your friends. Like, don't do that. And he was like, but I have to tell my friend. And so <laughs> he's like, let me just get these five guys out. Just five. Right. Just my five friends. It's it's fine. I'm just going to I'll tell them. I'll tell them a really good story. Let me just come up with a story <laughs> about why they shouldn't be there on the biggest day of parliament of the year. Oh, man. So. Uh, it was now October 26th, just 10 days before the planned explosion, and things were starting to go to pot. So there was this man named Lord Montagle, and he was Transham's brother-in-law. So he was one of those Catholics that he was really worried would become, like, collateral damage in the explosion. Oh, man. And he was also, he was Catholic, but he was, like, playing the part of a Protestant for the time, like, mm. just kind of in public. So, according to the official story, on the evening of October 26th, Monteagle's servant was delivered a letter. And when he asked where the letter came from, he was like, I was accosted outside by a mass stranger. And Ooh. so he opened the letter, and in the letter... Um, it said that Monteagle should not attend the state opening of Parliament because of a sudden and unspecified blow that was, like, in the letter. Oh, my God. This blow was going to be dealt from enemies of his religion. And if he could just, like, go hunting that day and, like, not not go to Parliament. This mysterious letter that no one knew where it came from. And so Monteagle was like, oh, this is crazy. And so he decided that he needed to take it, even though it was like the middle of the night, he needed to take it to uh, James the First Secretary of State, um, this man named Robert Cecil. <laughs> He's going right to the king. <laughs> right, right to the source, right. So they like lost their whole plot in like two steps. <laughs> right, right, like good work. Cecil was a notorious anti-Catholic and he was also like very connected and he was kind of seen as like the intelligence officer too. Like, Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. So one of his main jobs was to like evaluate information that's coming from Europe and then see if there's like potentially dangerous groups in London. So he's like the NSA. Right. Yes. <laughs> of the parliament. Like he's like scream. <laughs> right. So he was, yeah. So that was his job. And so immediately Lord, Lord Monteagle wow. went to him and was like, I got this letter. And Cecil apparently found the letter obscure, just like Montagle. And the two men sat through the night and discussed the doubtful document, puzzling over its authorship. Uh, it should also be said, too, that Montagle's servant, like the one that had delivered it to Montagle, was mm -hmm. also a Catholic. And he was like in the group, like he was in the kind of Catholic conspirators group. He was one of the 13? And, no, no, no. But he was like, I mean, I feel like there were a lot of Catholics at the time that were like kind of like these like underground Catholics and there was oh, like, a see, circle of like the underground Catholics. And so he, he went to the group that was going to blow it up. I, somehow he like made the, he, even he figured it out. He's just some tertiary. I think he just knew from, from like the Catholic circle. I whatever. think all of London knew by now. It sounds like it. Yeah. When you let too many people in. 
um, and told them, like told them, hey, guys, the gig's up. Like they know what's happening. Like he got this letter. No one knew where this letter came from. And but they all suspected Transham, like I said, Francis Transham. So apparently he was able to do some like smooth talking and swore an oath on the Bible and it persuaded them that he was. I love I love how we do that. Like, yeah, we just put our hand on some book and like that apparently means that we're not lying. It's it's great. Right. Yes. Like it's one of you know, when like if you're like, I swear to God or like I swear on my mother or I swear whatever that that's like you're lying. Like you don't need to do that if you're telling the (laughs) truth. It's like a tell. Yeah. Yes. That's a tell. That's supposed to be like one of the indicators. If like somebody's like telling you something and you're like, what are you talking about? They're like, oh, my God, I, I swear, swear on, my, on mo- my mother. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's what it is. That they're like, oh, swear on the Bible. Be like, oh, sure, dude. I'll swear on the Bible that I'm not lying. But like you said, Catsby is a go big or go home type of guy. And instead of being like, hey, they know they know. Let's not do this. He was like, no, nope. God will find a way. <laughs> yes. He was like, we are pushing forward. We're going to keep going with it. This is our plan. Like, this is what's going to happen. Um, so then on November 1st, four days before the state opening, King James returned to London from this hunting trip. And so then his chief minister, Robert Cecil, handed him this letter and was like, what does it mean? Like, what is happening? Like, very much like playing to the king mm-hmm. like type of thing. Mm-hmm. And so it's in, like, the official write-up of this or whatever from, like, the time. It says that the king instantly knew what was up, and he instantly focused (laughs) on the word blow. And so he knew it. Yeah, it says in the official version, the king was the first one that immediately figured out the truth. Sounds like the person that wrote that was a real (laughs) suck-up. Right, yes. He's like, oh, it was all the king. And, like, there were a lot of things talking about how Robert Cecil was, like, an incredibly intelligent man, too. Like, I mean, he, he knew what was going on. So according to the official record, again, the king suggested that they search the cellars beneath the House of Parliament and that they would find what they were looking for there. So in the cellar, Guy Fox was preparing the fuse that would smolder for eight hours before the gun blew, hmm. which I feel like is why he was picked for that job. I didn't know that was something you could do, that it would just smolder and whatever. So he was like preparing this fuse. He was also told to wait at the Westminster lodging until the explosion so that he could, like, make sure it happened. He had to confirm the death of the king. And then he would ride out to meet the others because the others had, like, left. Like, Robert Catesby had left. So he was the one that wasn't chicken shit. Well, there's there was this, like, secondary plot to kidnap. Apparently, Princess Elizabeth, who was one of the king's children that wasn't going to be there was like out in the country somewhere. And so there was like this kind of weird, like secondary plot that Casey came up with to like kidnap her. That he and came like, up with so he didn't have to be there for so the he didn't actual, have to be in London. <laughs> right. Yeah. The actual blow. Right. So he was going to go out and kidnap Princess Elizabeth. And then because she was going to be the only one left, they would like use her to like, I don't know, be their puppet to like make all these rules, whatever. That was the plan. That was why, that was why he said oh, he wasn't there anyway. Okay. Yeah, so Catesby had left, and all was going to plan. But then in the 11th hour, like the last minute, uh, Robert Cecil was making his move. So then he, again, crediting the king the whole time, had this plan to search Parliament. It said that uh, Lord Monteagle searched Parliament in the early evening and spotted this bearded man, this, like, creepy-looking man, and that he also noticed a stockpile of firewood that was too large for the cellar where the cellars served. 
Um, and then under further investigation, it was seen that the cellar was rented to a Catholic. And so then he went and got the king. Yes. And the king was like, we need to do a second search. So then just after midnight, a second search party uh, went into the Westminster cellars and they arrested this mysterious man. He gave a false name of John Johnson. Oh, Maybe real not, original, buddy. The, yeah, not the most creative <laughs> human being in the world. He can um, make a bomb, but he can't come up with a name. <laughs> right. Um, John, John, John Johnson, John Johnson. That's <laughs> me. And so he, yeah, so he gave him this name and he said that he was just a servant. But when they inspect the barrels, they learn the truth. Also, uh, Fox was dressed in, like, riding gear. Like, he was, like, ready to leave as soon as he lit this uh, this fuse. So he was arrested. John Johnson was arrested. And then immediately they issued a warrant for Percy, who was the one that was renting the cellar. Uh, this man named Christopher Wright, who is John Wright, who is one of uh, someone else that was in the conspiracy. I didn't even say all of their names because there's so <laughs> many people. So this guy named Christopher Wright was the first one to hear the news that like it had not worked and that Guy Fox was arrested. And so he went back to the Duck and Drake to try to warn the conspirators. And they were like, we need to fucking get out of here. So, which is the smartest thing that they've done this whole time. <laughs> so they immediately got on their horses and immediately left. Catesby was ahead of them because he had left earlier and he still didn't know that it didn't work. But another plotter named Ambrose Rockwood, Rookwood, um, who will never come up again, so you don't remember, <laughs> remember that name. But he was one of the conspirators. He caught up to him at some point on the trail, and he was the one who had to, like, break the news that, like, Guy Fox was arrested and the plan didn't work. And, you know, what do we do now? So um, Catesby, like, they, they don't really know what his, his initial plan was after that. They figured he might have tried to continue to go north to Ireland, like, to Catholic Ireland. But he then came up with this great plan that he was going to pretend that this plot had succeeded. And he was going to, like, tell every Catholic in the country that it had succeeded what? and that they should, like, join the revolution, like, that they should join him. And This guy. I don't, yeah, he just, that was his, like, great plan. So he's going to lie to a bunch of people to try right. to get them to go essentially into battle. Right. Yes. Yes. Wow. Very much into battle. So that was his plan. That's a terrible plan. <laughs> uh, it didn't work because for the most part, the Catholics were like upset that the king had died. Like, although he wasn't Catholic, he was still their king. Like he, I don't know, the Catholics weren't like super excited about this. So there was no uprising of Catholics. Um, he was able to get, it's just 40 men was all that he was able to like get together from like all the Catholics in the area. Can you imagine you're just sitting in your little village you know, you're just having a cup uh -huh. of tea with right. your wife and some guy on a horse comes up and is like, guess what, motherfucker? We're going to yep. war. Yep. And you're like, great idea. Count me yep. in. The, yep. The king's dead. Now all the Catholics are rising up. Yeah. Let's do let's this. Let's do this. <laughs> yeah. No um, reason to think that you might be lying to me. <laughs> right. Yeah. So uh, it didn't work. And they all treated him like lepers. It said they closed their doors. Their immediate reaction was one of horror because they were loyal subjects. So, like I said, even though the king was a different religion, they didn't really want the king dead. Um, they were also worried, like, if this plan did succeed, I feel like 
the, the people that he was talking to realized that like it would create this really big like power vacuum and like who would take over and would things be worse and like absolutely yeah yeah and apparently i was like reading about uh queen elizabeth like the monarch before king james and she was like burning people in the streets like she was really <laughs> ruthless and so they were like fuck i don't want that like at least we're not like it's not that bad. Yeah. And so they were like super worried about like mass imprisonments and executions, just like nobody knew. Um, and so then on November 7th, the um, the few men that were left arrived at what would become their last safe house. They were like super tired. They were demoralized. They were also being hunted. Like everyone kind of knew what had happened at this point and where they were going. So the reason they knew was because, so on November 5th, so two days earlier, news of Guy Fawkes' arrest and discovery had spread all over London. Everybody knew, and they started to light uh, bonfires in the streets. So this was kind of officially the first, like, Guy Fawkes night was November 5th. So um, they were lighting the bonfires because of in celebration for the deliverance of King James and his son, Prince Henry. That it didn't happen. That it didn't happen, right. That's so interesting. Because is it now it's like they're for him? Yes. Like it's it's very much seen as like anti-establishment yeah. and like they burn like effigies of like politicians. But the first one was in like in Thanksgiving for the deliverance of King James. So um, in the Tower of London where Guy Fox was, for the most part, he had held his tongue. He was still sticking with his alias. He was still saying he was John Johnson. He refused to say his accomplices. And then on the night of November 6th, the king asked to speak with Fox. So he like set up this meeting with Fox, which was super weird. Like everybody was like, uh, no, kings don't meet with terrorists. Like, what are you doing? But like James, King James really wanted to be like seen as like on the cutting edge of government activity. And that, like <laughs> he was really involved with what was going on or whatever. And so he was like asking him his motives and apparently for his motives guy fox echoed catsby's words and it said a dangerous disease requires a desperate remedy um and he like refused to tell him he wouldn't tell him anything and when he like asked if he was remorseful he was like i'm remorseful it didn't work and i want to blow up your like (laughs) scottish ass all the way back to scotland and like like he was he was not being a really nice guy i guess or however you want to look at it like he wasn't giving him any information so, because the king was so pissed off, he ordered that Guy Fox was now going to be tortured, and it was called acute physical suffering. I feel like that's kind of a real missed opportunity, because if I'm reading this King James guy correctly, he seems to be a little bit of a people pleaser. Yes. And, like, I feel yeah. like Guy Fox could probably have worked him a little bit, mm-hmm. you know? And, like, yes. at least lived. Right. You know, maybe not at getting out of prison, but maybe he could have lived if he had, like, given him some names, gotten a little chummy. You know what I mean? Like, this is a real missed opportunity. (laughs) Yeah, it was. And I feel like even from, like, King James's standpoint, like, I I don't know. Like, it seems like such a weird, like, oh, just torture him. Like, okay, we're done talking. Like, I mean, he must have really pissed him off. And he was trying to kill him for the record. Right. So. Right. Yes. Yeah. I'm not defending Guy Fox, but. Yeah, it, it definitely was a missed opportunity from from both sides to maybe move things forward a little bit. So um, under English law, uh, you're officially not allowed to torture somebody to produce a confession, but you could torture them when you already knew they were guilty, which is such a weird, <laughs> why are you torturing them if you know that you're guilty already? But anyway, so 
in Guy's case, he was he like he had pretty much admitted to it. He was like absolutely guilty. So he made no attempts to deny it. So he was like prime game for torture. So there were like gentler tortures that were uh, called like that you were like in like you were like strung up or whatever. This was not <laughs> the torture that that Guy Fox was exposed to. Like he was like put on the rack and he was oh like, my God, like everything was like like uh, what's it called? dislocated and like, oh, all God. the like crazy things that you've heard about from English torture chambers. He was like submitted to. There's also this thing, like literally everything I looked at, they would show this and it like gave me the chills. Like they showed there's like two different copies of his signature and there's one like before the torture and then there's one after the torture. And it's like so ugh. like it's so like broken oh, and like barely God. there. Like it, honestly, like it's such a weird thing to look at that it's like this like visible sign of somebody that was like incredibly tortured oh. in like the 1600s yeah oh my really, gosh right so because of his confession he had implicated the rights like the two brothers there was uh christopher and john <laughs> like i said there's a ton of names mm-hmm. i'm sorry um he had implicated winter like pretty much everybody was implicated so now was like the time to strike and so they were the only ones that were kind of left with catsby just to like point out even more of like how down on their luck they were it was raining and they had a little bit of gunpowder to like like shoot their muskets or whatever and in the rain like while they were riding in the rain their gunpowder had gotten wet and so in their like infinite wisdom when they finally got to the safe house they decided to dry out the gunpowder in front of an open fire oh my gosh these are not the brightest bulbs are they no and i like something something i was reading was like without guy fox's like gunpowder expertise you have to be a gun (laughs) yeah i was like i don't think you have to be a gunpowder expert to know not to do that so like it didn't work it blew up well maybe it did work i guess it did dry out like it did (laughs) whatever it so it blew up no one actually died but there was one man that was blinded because it went straight in his eye the rest of them were fine but it kind of gave away where they were. And also to them, it was like a clear sign that like God was now like rebuking them. That like they had done this thing with gunpowder and now they got blown up with gunpowder. And so it was another like kind of demoralizing blow. You know, sometimes it's not God. Sometimes you're just stupid. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you just pour gunpowder on a fire. Right. Yes. I, I'm a firm believer. I mean, if we want to say God, I think God helps those who help themselves. <laughs> I don't think God would tell you to put gunpowder in front of a fire. Maybe not the best idea. Oh, my goodness. At some point that evening, Tom Wintour um, was really sad. And Cat- <laughs> is it really sad? Was really sad. And Catesby said, we came here to die. Which is Why like- is anybody listening to this guy anymore? <laughs> right. Yeah. But those are like the famous like last words. Like, that's, we came here to die. So uh, the following morning on November 8th, the sheriff of Worcestershire, Worcestershire, Dang it. The sheriff of Wor dang it. Worcester. Worcestershire. How do you Worcestershire? <laughs> oh my god. I think it's Worcester. Is it no, not? No, it's Worcestershire. Worc- okay. Worcestershire. Yeah, that's perfect. Do you want, do you want me to say that again? No, I, I think, want to I think this, this is great. <laughs> <laughs> um the sheriff of Worcestershire <laughs> um had the house surrounded by two hundred men. Like he wasn't fucking around. He wanted these guys. <laughs> um and so they were pretty much just like firing into this room that these guys were in. So Winters was shot, but he wasn't killed. Uh, both of the Wright brothers were killed. 
Catesby and Percy had this like plan that like they were going to go out of the house and like do the like final stand or whatever. And so they walked out of the house and in some weird like twist of fate or whatever, they were shot by the same the same musket ball, like killed them. So they were both dead. So Catesby was dead. Percy was dead. Both of the Wright brothers were dead. And Winter was alive, but he was shot. So they rounded up all the other guys. And then also Francis Tretchum, they got him too. Um, he died of, it says a urinary tract infection, which I didn't know you could die God, from. That sounds like a terrible way to die. <laughs> I just feel like that's more of, I don't want to be alive in the 1600s if you can die from UTIs. Like, that sounds awful. I can't but, think of any worse way to go. Have you ever had no. a UTI? They're yes. horrible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, I don't want to die that way. Um, but he got sick and he died. Um, the conspirators spent the winter of 1605 awaiting trial. Uh, confessions were extracted, edited, published. They were sensationalized for the public. And the official version of the story was born. The government got a message very quickly. And their message was very like, God loves Protestants. Like that was like the government's <laughs> message is like, obviously, these Catholic idiots all failed because oh, God man. really loves King James. He's supposed to be king. And God loves Protestants. This so, is just... Yeah, so I'm getting this is one so, big mess. <laughs> yes, it's all one big mess. So in January of 1606, the conspirators were brought to trial, quote, trial. In uh, Westminster Hall, the treason trials were very dramatic. They only lasted a day. All the prosecutors needed to prove was that that they were trying to trying to destroy God's anointed, like they were trying to kill the king. You got that. <laughs> yeah, so all they, that was all they had to prove. Uh, they proved it. And it should also be said that this kind of arrived at the perfect time for him is that he got all of this sympathy. Like everybody was so happy with him. He was starting to lose popularity. Hmm. And so this came along like at the perfect time. He was able to like smite the enemy or whatever. And so the conspirators were sentenced to a traditional traitor's death. So a bit of a trigger warning, although we've kind of talked about some gross stuff anyway, but this is kind of like torture <laughs> stuff. They were hauled and drawn by horses. So like stretched out on horses oh, through the streets of no. London to the place that they were being executed. And interestingly enough, I found it interesting. Maybe I'm insane. But uh, the reason that you're meant to be horizontal on the ground is that you're not supposed to pollute the air that like the normal people are breathing. Like that's why you're like straight. Like you're like pulled between these two horses. Oh, so, my God. Yeah. And then for the punishment, it involved being hung by the neck, but not until you were dead. And then just before you died, you would be cut down and then you would either be castrated or you'd be disemboweled. Oh, come on. That's just, it's unnecessary. Well, and so the thinking behind that or the symbolism behind that was that you wouldn't live to like procreate that like your kids would be traitors too i'm pretty sure if you just die right you can't procreate either but like it was like symbolic and then you you were like drawn and quartered and your head was displayed on stakes at london bridge to an example of all of those that uh might want to commit treason okay the executions took place at old palace yard winchester and it was within sight of the building that they tried to destroy Cecil said that he was struck by their bravery and remarked that they were Catholics to the end, that they died with a prayer on their lips. Oh, how lovely. I know. (laughs) Uh, Fox is the last to mount the scaffold. Um, He needed help up the scaffold because he was so weak. But he did, like, jump in a way that, like, he broke his neck and died right away. 
so that he didn't like have to go he's the only one that stuff. knew how all this worked <laughs> I, I it said that another guy i can't remember the name but somebody else tried that but it didn't work which i feel like it's such a like bummer to like try to die right away Ugh. and then you're like god oh, yeah, so he he died right away. Just as kind of a final note too, Catsby and Percy, although they died in like the gun battle, they were exhumed and then drawn and quartered. Like they they really like wanted to stick it to everybody. So um, they all died. There was also a bunch of other people that were brought in, a bunch of other priests and people that had helped them out. And it really worked to cement Catholics as the enemy. It, it had the opposite effect that they were looking for. Like it cemented that Catholics were the enemy for like, the rest of time Ugh. so yeah that's the story of guy fox not that great Horrible. but there it is yes yeah thank you so and <laughs> now we we burn bonfires right around halloween just to say he was a great guy i don't know, <laughs> I don't know why we're doing that i feel like it's not, like i know they're british but i feel like people in general would like have any excuse to burn something like yeah i mean it's kind of also like against like the status quo. I mean, I guess yeah. I kind of thought I didn't know that it had so much to do with religion. Yes. The next time that Parliament meant, they like officially made it a holiday to like be thankful for King James or whatever. Wow. That was a holiday like that for like decades, like for years and years and years. Like I want to say centuries, like a hundred years until they were finally like, uh, no. Because like I find it so interesting. Like it's so like how religion is like the base of so much, like All kinds. Has so much yeah. influence. I yeah. know it's wild. So you just tell yep. people there's a sky daddy and they, they'll do anything. Right. <laughs> they'll do anything. Right. Try to blow up a bunch of people. So <gasps> yep. yeah. So when you see a guy Fox mask, now I know, no, now you know the story of it. Yeah. I want to watch V for so. Vendetta tonight. I, I feel like I watched <laughs> it when I was like in high school or something. I haven't seen it. Yeah. since. So I feel like that's such a like high school movie when you're like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, like, Fuck the establishment. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm so cool. I'm still kind of fuck the establishment. I guess that's that yeah. a little bit. I mean, I feel Just, like everybody uh, is these days. <laughs> right. But I feel like to your like extent. perspective changes a little yeah. bit when you're older. Like yeah. you're uh, how you're fucking the establishment <laughs> than when you're in high school. <laughs> but yeah, writing a little A with a circle around it and a Sharpie on right. the bathroom wall. It's like, you know. Yes. I'm such a rebel. Such a rebel. <gasps> I, I, I'm sorry. I see stuff like that. I remember being in high school and there was, I was walking like down the street with like a group of people and they started like knocking over trash cans. And I was like, what the fuck? What are you guys doing? And they were like, oh, sorry. We're such provocateurs. <laughs> and I was like, I think you're just assholes. Like, what are you doing? Like, oh, yeah, like man. that type of stuff that you're just like, uh, stick it to the man by doing this stupid shitty thing that assholes do. Like, yeah. Yeah, your your right. way of sticking it to the man evolves as you get older. So yeah, yeah, awesome. Thank you so much for sharing. Yeah, no, I hope I hope it was Halloweeny enough. I was like, Anna is going to be so mad. No, not. I loved it. Are you kidding me? <laughs> okay. I loved it because it kind of like ties into the season. You know, like yes. it's like yeah. it's great because I don't know how fast I'm going to get this out. So if like somebody hears this after Halloween, mm. there's still yeah. something in it for you too. Do we want to do our Rundown. Yeah, we'll do our rundown real quick. Um, okay. Let me think about what I'm going to tell everybody about running. Oh, I got my booster. So I'm, Ooh, I'm triple boosted. Oh, I haven't got I, I keep thinking I should get, I'm, I'm going on a trip at the end of the month. And I keep thinking that I should do it before. It then, was super but. easy. I just went into CVS and I was like, can I have it? And they were like, yeah, here you go. 
Did you? What did you get? Did you get Pfizer? Pfizer. Mm-hmm. Oh, I feel I have Moderna, which I feel like was, is harder to find because doesn't it have to be the same one? I don't know. I think I know somebody that got Moderna and then got a Pfizer booster. I don't think it really matters that much. Yeah, because it's all the same, like antibody kind of situation. I fuck. I don't know. Right. I'm not a. I'm not a. <laughs> I'm not a scientist. Yeah. I just went and got it because I was like, uh, I have MS, so I I technically can get it because of a pre-existing oh. condition. So mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, mm-hmm. you know what? I I feel invincible now. Yes. Um, good. Also, good. I'm I'm going home for Thanksgiving, so I want to be like mm-hmm. healthy or whatever. There's a yeah. lot of people are getting big three cases. I know, like people who are getting yeah. them, and I don't want that shit. Which I. I just don't want to get it. <laughs> yeah. I guess I don't have a big problem with, like, there being breakthrough cases. Like, I feel like I understand the science behind yeah. it. The problem that I have with breakthrough cases is I feel like it gives justification to the anti-vaxxers, totally. which I hate so yeah. much that I'm like, like, any time, like, there was a thing. <laughs> Sorry, we're going to no, go it's fine. stupid tangent. There was a basketball player, because the NBA is requiring everybody to get vaccinated, mm-hmm. which I'm like, fuck yeah. Yeah, like, absolutely. <laughs> and so there was, there was some basketball player that I don't know who it was that was talking and was like, can somebody tell me why we have to get vaccinated when you can still get it. Because you and won't I go to, be, to the hospital. <laughs> right. He said that. And then he was like, I know you won't get a sick and blah, blah, blah. And I wanted to be like, yeah, that's it. Like, I know, <laughs> like, it's hard when you're like, it, like, it's, it's like these, like, press call interviews yeah. where, like, they're on a stage. And so it's not like anybody could answer him. Yeah. Ah, I still want to, like, scream through the TV and be There's like, have no... you looked into that? Like, it's... that's a good question. I understand that question. Look into why it's happening. Like, look into, it's like... It's just... Uh, they're never going to change yeah. their mind. That's why I didn't feel no, bad about getting true. a booster because I'm like, there's mm-hmm, so much vaccine mm-hmm. around, like... Yes. Yeah. I... They're not going to use... They're not going to take it. I'll take it. Yep. I'll get a fourth booster if they tell me to. I don't I, care. Like, I do not want yeah, to get COVID. I, well, I think that's what it's going to be. Like, I think it's going to turn into this, like, yearly that's thing. That's fine. That we're going to yeah. get. Like, that's fine. Right. You fine. get vaccines all the I time. I get my flu shot every year. I don't I don't see what the difference right. is. I've never gotten a flu shot. I feel like I should now. Get the flu <laughs> I feel shot. feel like I'm being, like, it's, awful. It's much less intense than the COVID vaccination. Because with the COVID vaccination, you get a little sick. And with the flu vaccine, I don't mm. really get sick. Did you get sick from the COVID shot? Yeah, the second time and the third oh, time. I've only had two. I didn't get sick at all. And I was super, like, paranoid about it. Were you taking, like, Advil and Tylenol and stuff? No. Okay. <laughs> no, but I was super, like, like, my friend was like, you need to take the next day off of work. But, like, I was super, mm. like, anxious about that. And then, like, the next day, I was like, you know when you have that, like, little headache that you're like, yeah. am I dehydrated mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. is my ponytail too tight mm-hmm. or is this COVID? Yeah, yeah like and so i was like I, that was all like i had like yeah. the tiniest of headaches well that was my that's so. my running story i, I got the booster mm-hmm. and then Woo-hoo. i was still able to run the next day like i felt like a little Good. under the weather but like it wasn't that mm-hmm. bad and i like got out and exercised and yeah it was Good. fine so go get vaccinated go get people get yeah, your get boosters if you haven't gotten vaccinated mm-hmm. it's okay like if you got we're scared but like it's time it's time now yes so yep. do your thing be safe yep Yes. Yeah, so that's it. I was able to run after being boosted. So. Woohoo! Um, well, my story is uh, you told a similar story probably like a year ago that I'm just going to tell the same thing. <laughs> is that um, I, I've always had very long hair, and I just like on Thursday got like all my hair cut off. Nice. Like I probably get my hair cut like every year and a half or two years mm-hmm. or something like that, and I just cut it all off and then just let it grow. Yeah, yeah. So I've always been somebody that like every now and then. I'll run with my hair down, like, because you kind of feel like a Dallas Cowboy cheerleader and, you're, like, <laughs> around and whatever. Yeah. And so on Friday, like, you know, your hair feels so nice after you go to the salon and you're like, somebody uh-huh. does it and it's 
And so on Friday, I went running with my hair down and I was super like, this isn't going to feel the same, but it's so, I was like, oh, like, yeah, like a Dallas Cowboy cheerleader. (laughs) Yep. So yeah, run with your hair down sometime. It's nice. (laughs) All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, We hope you have a very happy Halloween and Mm -hmm. we will talk to you soon. Yeah. Follow us on the thing. Yeah. Follow us on the things. We have an Instagram page. We have um, Mm -hmm. a website. Peculiar Stories and Fire Out Tales.com. Uh, but most importantly, please subscribe on Spotify mm-hmm. and give us a rating on iTunes. We really appreciate mm-hmm. it. And yep. yeah, it's far better cool. to be peculiar than to be boring. Woohoo! Bye, guys. Happy Halloween. Bye.